Welcome to Philly Coco Presents Side Project Spotlight, Episode 53. It's a developer's journey in making cool stuff. I'm Kotaro. I'm Steve. And I'm Aaron. And we are Philly Coco, a Philadelphia-based Coco Heads community focused on Apple development. That primarily, but not exclusively, means iOS, Mac, tvOS, watchOS, and VisionOS development. Philly 2 is to take you higher on your own developer journey. Oh, oh I loved it at the end. You're, you're coming in remote today from your usual location, aren't you? Yeah, I'm with my family, so I'm kind of like all frazzled, and, or more frazzled than well, usual. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just bringing it up so that the, the audience understands why your audio might be not quite as crisp. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm on my AirPods, so if it's, if it comes off looking a little, sounding a little bit like far back or where that's the reason. Yeah, I rarely actually hear what it sounds like to be on the other end of AirPods. They sound pretty good, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what do we what do we have today for our wonderful audience? What do we have? We have news mm-hmm. and some AI workflow talk sure. and then hopefully a deep dive into metal shaders for UI inspiration from Cultural uh, Air. It'll be it'll be like the last what was the title of the last uh <laughs> the last uh, uh, <laughs> the composable architecture poorly explained. <laughs> which <laughs> I'm proud of that title. <laughs> it's one of my played. favorite titles now. That, that 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 really was a was one of the, you know, like a like a bait or was it a clickbait kind of, yeah, kind yeah. of title there? Well played. Yeah, well, yeah I liked it's it. Well I mean, it's true too. I did poorly explain it. So, <laughs> I mean, as long as like I would I would love it so it'd be so badly explained, you would have people in the comments of like you know whatever apples just like frothing at the mouth like saying you explained yeah. it wrong yeah I, well i know that's why i said in the title <laughs> he, I'm, I'm working through the composable architecture tutorial right now in their mm-hmm. documentation mm-hmm. like building their little toy app which is like ultra app you so i'm about halfway through i'm at the part where you're doing testing the reason i'm doing it is because while i have explored like pieces of it this is just and i've watched their videos where they build stuff this is walking me through literally typing out you know an app actually building it which sometimes is very helpful to get an intuition for something like a framework or an api because mm-hmm. I've, i'm actually doing the work of making it into an actual app even if i am or telling me to do a tutorial and just copying it but i'm actually you right. know but you know what i mean it's just like when you write things down it helps you remember so i'm going through that and that's pretty interesting the next part of the tutorial i'm really interested in is going to be about navigation because that's one of the areas i think is really super great about or potentially great about tca but it's the area where there's a lot of videos on it over a pretty long stretch of time i think and it's like it's kind of a lot there's a lot lot in the topic and i think it evolves swift ui evolves so i'm not exactly i don't have a great intuition for exactly what they were doing but it's 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 essentially was either using enums or using the navigation stack stuff I guess if you were to say for, you know, they always say every podcast is potentially your first, pod, your first podcast. For the uninitiated, TCA, aka, aka the composable architecture, if you're coming in from a Swift UI background, how does this differ from like the generic, you know, state environment? Yeah. Like what, what does this do that's better as an architecture than say you know, the, whatever the vanilla switch UI. vanilla switch UI. Well, I think the, the intent of TCA was to pl- it plugs holes. It's in Swift UI, the modern approach, I guess it started before Swift UI came out, but the, it, it, it works really well hand in hand with Swift UI, UI. And if you watch their videos on pointfree.co, they're not a sponsor or anything. I just, I just like them. So if you watch their videos, they do talk about 
like what's great about SwiftUI and the, uh, the observation observable object originally observation framework now they've been started talking about but they they identify different weak points in their view where you can get the trouble and and it's not quite so easy to test things and you can have some dependency issues like trying to control dependencies can be a little bit difficult and there's like limitations like on uh, Swift Vanilla SwiftUI environment you can put stuff in the environment so you can access it elsewhere in the view stack but only from a view so it can help you if you want to have things accessible from like a model object or something somewhere somewhere outside of a view it makes it a little harder like you can't you can't pull it from the environment quote unquote outside of the of a switch ui view and there's some other things so what they do is they the main thing they do is they create a systematized way of building an app like every every screen you're doing you're building kind of the same way you're either, you're either starting with a view or you're starting with a reducer protocol like the like a an object that uses reducer and the reducer it takes in you know like an action that you're going to like do like i'm going to button or something like you know hello world button is like an action that's modeled as an enum and it also has state in there and then you the there's a runtime that exists in tca like the store right, right? Yeah. and so essentially everything you do you have a swift ui view you click a button or something which you send the message to the store, which is an action, which is defined as an enum, and then you and, and that's in the reducer, and so the reducer takes the act takes that action and then modifies the state, and then then sends back like sends out a like a side effect. Usually, if it's if you're not doing anything like like a network call or something, then that could just be none, and then it just ends there. But it's a a, a way of completely controlling and identifying like all the actions you're doing on the screen, all your state. And making sure that your view is always just mo just a reflecting your state, and it also provides a clean way of controlling those sites, which is what I find to be one of the most difficult parts of SwiftUI. Yeah. It's like when I need to, you need to network connect you use some Apple API or something, and it's like how do you you know get that all working? How do you architect that? And you just don't have to think like you just have to kind of understand the structures that they give you and that enums that you're supposed to go through and you can kind of work on it it's not like it's rote but you can design everything in a similar pattern and that can i think i think it can help you to make faster progress sometimes i guess it does do something especially if you have the data store in its own little space it's almost like a almost like an environment in that con the con in yeah. that kind of con construct and in that you can kind of isolate the business logic either within the reducers or within that data store, whether doing like network calls, for example, or something yeah, like so that. Yeah, so a side effect, when the reducer sends out like a side effect, it sends back in an action. Right? Mm -hmm. And then, so every all everything's an action that goes to the reducer. I think that's a central mechanism, but the side effects, it just allows you to like package them up and be like, here, go do my side effect and then send me back an action when you're done as a result and then you're back in the tca flow again okay so instead of and what that means is you can do stuff like i want to test my logic and my logic relies on like an api call well yeah it's because you built it with the patterns and frameworks that they provide you have like an automatic way of providing like the test version of those side effects and okay. a way of providing the preview version of it. It's like 
the whole, and that's one of the things I talked about, talked about how I have used in the past is their dependency framework yeah. a little bit where it lets you wrap up some kind of dependency in like a struct and get like a live view, a line of it. You get a preview version, a test version, and you basically yeah. just, you, you create whatever you want to return to them. But based on the context you're using it in, you'll, you'll have easy access to the appropriate thing. So then you can go into write unit tests and you can either like get test every single thing in every single action, every single piece of logic, or you can switch it to be a little more lenient and just test specific things. But like you can go as far as to like guarantee that you have tested like every single state change that happens. So if you make, if you make a change and affects anything in the state, their testing framework will tell you if you missed by default, like it'll tell you if you missed validating that state, like in your test. So that you know, so you don't forget stuff. So there's like a lot of stuff like that. It's opinionated, just like Swift UI is, in the sense that it gives you like one way of doing things. Basically, it gives you like a constrained pattern or set of patterns to apply over and over again, just like Swift UI does. But I feel like it does. It fits in with Swift UI. It's not like you're replacing it. Like you should observable to do stuff, to, you know, to encapsulate things, your model, you'd, you'd still use Swift data. I'm not how they think, think about Swift data and stuff, but they have a lot of example code on their GitHub and they've had a lot of videos. Sure. And because do, I feel like, do you uh, feel like cool. our good friend that Clue TCA? Yeah. Do you feel, shout out to you, Matt. Do you feel like there is a, um, I won't say groundswell, but there is a, you know how like MVVM, mm-hmm. And, and to some degree, Viper had its moment in the sun and, and yeah. you know, coordinator patterns, et cetera. TCA is one of those patterns that will become popular, particularly in sort of like a multi-team environment, whether it be enterprise or, or big well, company. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's popular now. I know that, like, I think the Arc browser uses it, and that's a big project. I When, when you start to... Oh, when, when the Arc browser. It's called Arc. Arc browser. Arc browser is is made by the browser company. Okay. <laughs> These names, it's a Chromium. Wait, what? <laughs> it's the, the company is called the browser that makes it. Anyway, it's it's a it's an, a Chromium based browser that I think we might talk about in our next segment. But it, I think they use TCA. I think that's how it was built. When you go okay. into, you start investigating and looking up composable architecture. You know, you you find a lot of people excited about it. I've seen a few talks about it. I mean, I. It's hard to tell whether there's like a big tick, but I feel like there is a growing, I, f- I feel like there is a growing interest in it. Like there's definitely a very active GitHub, you know, there, there's definitely people writing talks about it and it's, but it's not like, it's not like Swift UI when it came out where like, at, where every single, you know, Philly Coca or, or I mean, every single like Coca heads meeting or Philly Coca or otherwise was like, was talking about Swift UI, you know, like, but Wait, at least like on the the things you can find on YouTube and stuff. But I do I do think it's up there. It's it's definitely a it's it's continue it's consistently listed as an architecture when you look up SwiftUI architectures mm-hmm. and people give various accounts like model view or model view view model and then they'll always say TCA as well as it comes up most of the time. So oh, okay. And okay. and I think that and if you're in a functional programming mindset, then I yeah. think you definitely are yeah. excited about it because yeah. that's where I, it grew from. I get the feeling that that's that's it's, it's more like if that's your if that's your mental model of how if you prefer that style of coding, yeah. this TCA is kind of up your totally up your alley, or yeah, at least, I mean, I, yeah, much more up your alley than you know this sort of protocol based environment. 
Yeah, and they don't have anything bad to say about that stuff. They go, they do some nice videos about protocol stuff. And they talk about what's great about it, and then they, what's nice is they talk about what is what doesn't quite work. And they also do, they do like they do a whole series on protocol witnesses, which is a cool thing to look up. <laughs> protocol witnesses. So what what I like about them, as I said before, was they have a lot of great ideas, and a lot. It's, it seems to come from the the functional programming we're familiar with. So. I am just enjoying absorbing all of these ideas and concepts and techniques because even if you don't go full bore into using TCA for everything in your project, I think there's valuable insights that they have uh, put out in the community. It's, and I think they've done a really valuable service for the last several years exploring a lot of these concepts and Swift. And I think they're very active in the Swift evolution list from them about things. And I mean, I think they've had some great ideas that I hope get adopted in the language. The main sure. being is like enum, enum paths, whatever they call them. One of case paths. I mean, the equivalent of, of, of now I'm going to mix up my words. What's, what is, what is, I, I forgot about last time. The key paths. Key paths. Yes. Key, they're called case paths for enums. Key paths. Okay. So Aaron knows. So the equivalent of key paths for enums, which is actually really, really good really idea. Good. We should, we should definitely have that. And they use it to provide this like library around well, among other things, I think. But they have, the thing I did for a little bit was they had this little wrapper around the some of the APIs from Apple for doing alerts and sheets mm-hmm. and stuff. And okay. you could use you could use it to be like, I want to have an optional enum, and so and then I want to have a particular case in the enum, and it, it provided this really easy syntax to be to just declare that you know when there's this this enum exists and this case, you know, it works out, then uh, you know do this, and then so it gave you a way of, of encapsulating the the state and the logic for showing like a sheet or showing an alert or something alerts especially because they change the api but allows you to, to do that all in a in a, a way that allows you to keep everything like a boolean and something else that kind of thing so you look into it. i think it's called swift swift now i forgot it's it's one of the tsa things it's a swift ui not navigation i was one of the other ones i don't think it's na- wait maybe it's navigation it's one of the swift ui libraries no i think so the path oh, they, see, they have a whole bunch of these uh, little frameworks. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was navigation. Maybe it's that's the one. Yeah. It's a like a package. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Navigation's more simpler. I think this might be the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, alerts and confirmation dialogs and stuff. So that's it. So you go to Point Freeze GitHub, Point Freeze CEO's GitHub. It's Swift UI dash install without nice. the whole TCA. So, gotcha. so that kind of thing what i you know what i like and i this is kind of rehashing some of the stuff we talked about last time so sure uh, but uh, yeah uh, i've been enjoying it so i will let you know how it works out with the the actual tutorial you know your real, real code and you're intending uh, you and i have talked about this before you have some intention to build a project like a side project to sort of explore yeah. at least to learn how to do a tca in practice yes yeah, so after the tutorial I think my next thing is I have this little side project idea that I want to try and I figure it out. I'll give it a shot with TCA. Okay. And maybe we'll see how that works out because it's, it's going to be not nested app. Mm-hmm. It's just mostly just for me, but I'm going to try to make it so that I can put it in the app store. Yep. We'll see if I get that far. And then, yeah. So I'll talk about when I have something to actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. I just been doing some, I did some research, took some notes, looked at, you know, options that are out there and in names and stuff a little bit, but mostly just like whether, whether there might be any sides me, there might be like a couple people in the world. Do you, so. do you feel comfortable at least giving a broad context of the, of the idea or? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. It's really simple. 
I have a, a specific problem, problem in quotes, mm-hmm. where I go out to see a lot of music acts, mm-hmm. and I often take some pictures of them, and I, I often want to like write notes about them, mm-hmm. and remember it later. Often I my other podcast, like sometimes mm-hmm. later. And anyway, I wanted what is the from... name. What, are the, what is the name of this other podcast? <laughs> oh, it's called the Jagcast. It's the podcast of the Jenkintown Arts Garage. Okay, so you can find us. You look up Garage on YouTube podcast player or whatever gotta make sure we get that out there <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't usually cross plug the things but, but yeah so and the the problem i have is i wanted I, I wanted to create like a database for myself of these bands that i see and the photos like there's photos that'll show up uh, like in from my photo album on my phone you know like the little widget photo will show up and that's cool basically i just want to collect some stuff there is a th- concept in paper form called a concert journal which has been around forever and you, you know, you write down you just basically stuff like who's the band, what's the venue, what like what did I think about, what kind of rating did I give it, or what my favorite set or my favorite song, or you can have all kinds of stuff in there. Some people put down in their templates like what emotions it gave them, or what things happened you'd want to remember, or just like notes about the experience. Some people make these elaborate scrapbooks, or whatever. And for me, I mostly want to be able to capture some notes, basic information like the venue and like and like and use the tools of the phone to make this easier so like the venue can be kind of automatically suggested because of where i am and the bands once i've once i've added one band it can go into the master list of bands so that i don't have to keep typing things the next time and i could then you can start getting statistics that i want to know about like how many times i've seen this band sometimes i'll see a band a year at something i'm like i feel like i've seen them but i can't remember because i have a terrible memory for names especially and faces and all these these little things for a while i'm like i wish i just could like look up on my phone like have i seen four like maybe and then get eventually have like kind of a database of of useful information about these bands including their you know their contact information and their social media all that kind of stuff that you can you could see how once you you create the the, the little nugget of information about you saw this band in this place at this time you can start attaching all kinds of other data and then you can get metadata about it that you might want to know about like how many miles just interesting how many miles have i driven to to do shows in here like how many times have i seen this how many how often have i been there and you, you can do all kinds of stuff with it i see a lot of room for it to if it's useful to me a lot of places where i could expand its utility so sure. basically it's a I'm, I'm trying to make a concert journal app i didn't actually find any that i really <laughs> Like I was looking, so I may not be any market for it. There's definitely a market for paper stuff. Uh, I and guess. I mean, you could call it like groupie or something. <laughs> I think that was one or, of the names I was considering. We'll, band, see, what, we'll band, see what happens. Band, was it Bandcamp or Bandcamp? What was I was thinking scrapbook or yeah, like band. What's a what's a what's a might what's, be a, what's like a fan of a of like a local band like indie. I was trying to figure that indie, out. In fact, indie scribe to, or indie, indie. I tried to ask uh, ChatGPT too. I was like, "What is that? What is a word for the?" I, I was like, "Is it a fan? Is it a per se groupies? Usually something Would, slightly." I'm curious, like yeah. if any of the more higher level chat or the ones that are more up to date. These, what do you call these? What would you call these? LLMs. Uh, yeah. If any of them would know your band. Right or no? Oh, <laughs> whether right, in their like, in their training data, I don't right, know. That's a right. good question. I should I should check right. that out. One of these because yeah. I usually see I, I see like small local local people, not uh, big be, name bands. It would it would be interesting. You type the name of the band right, and then in the background you pass that to ChatGPT or whatever that to fill in the metadata. Oh yeah, and then 
you can say, you know, maybe you maybe you'll do cross references, maybe you'll do pull up photos from Google or whatever, and then scrape uh, save them as like scrap uh, scrapbook material. Right? I mean, maybe. I mean, these are all. Uh, this is what I'm saying. It's like it's it, because it's just essentially like a journal. You could do this with like the notes technically, right? I just sure. I just want it to be more automated and structured. You could right. do it with like Notion or you know like a, anything. You could do it with like Excel spreadsheet, but I want it, I want something that's that takes advantage of where I am when I need this, which is I have my phone on me in a right. location and I want it to be quick and easy to do. So my my idea is uh, also was kind of inspired for this particular idea, but like maybe some of the UI ideas I'm thinking about. There's this little demo app that um that um Hudson did with uh, hacking with Swift. Uh, what's his first mm-hmm. name? Paul Hudson. Paul Hudson. He did a little thing a while back when he was uh, showing off Swift UI changes, iOS 17. Really cool video, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. where he did this, where he has like a little app about his trip to Japan. Mm-hmm. And it has like these little, like, little things like food he saw, places he was at, these cards. And I was like, oh, I was kind of thinking along those lines of mm-hmm. having it to be kind of this this easy, like card based, colorful thing. And then, but it's ultimately, I mean, a pretty straightforward idea that you, you have a Swift, probably a Swift data models that you're persisting and it can start out with just really simple forms where i just type in some stuff and i want to use like gps to help me get the location like fantastical does or something at least right. you know where you in the name and it'll look it up and get you the address can uh, you extract the metadata from your photos uh, um, so if you open up a, something in the photo app and then bring um, it yes like, sure and you bring can. it into your app assuming that it gives you the permission to like yeah, like like pull out the metadata so you could pull out the location of when you. Took oh yeah, that's another good, that's good idea. That, yeah. like, where you took that. Picture, See again, right? this is this is why I'm like I wanted this stuff. I this, this is a, this is a great idea. That's a good one. This, this I, I want to take advantage of having the a, like pocket computer. But yeah, you can. I know you can because I've seen photos that give me some of the metadata. And obviously, right. like the photos app itself has access to the metadata, so it's in there. Somewhere. Sure, sure. I don't think and it's then, like in the format. I mean, the nice thing is that you can save it. And then if you have band members, save the ones that you liked, the photos that you've said, okay, this is the this is the one I want to give to the group. Package it. Send, you can you know you have an isolated place to package it and then send it to. That's your, another way, your, another use. I mean, band. I I was thinking at first it's mostly just like a record keeping app, but mm-hmm. I, but as you go as you start thinking about it, and I took a bunch yeah. of notes in a when I was working through this thought process in an app called Bike. By the way, it's a good outliner app. But sure. I took a bunch of notes, and so I, I started getting like a list of data item I might want, and like features I might want. In the, eventually, there's there's okay, so for for a side project, if I actually use this thing, and I think I will because I I, I you know I go out and I do this all the time. There's a lot of room, a lot of potential for growth and experimentation, and being and mm-hmm. and it has it's a good good side project idea because it's something that I think I actually will use because I already have this problem where I, I take I try to take some notes sometimes and remember it later and then. Find the picture I took of them, you know, and when so that I can make artwork when I have them on my podcast and that kind of thing. Sure. And I already have that kind of problem. This might help with, and then because it's broad enough that you can hook into all kinds of potential technologies that you want, so you could just it could be like a long running side project. So this is a future Steve coming in here for a second. The next segment we're going to be talking about job stuff, and wherever we refer to Stack Overflow data, we actually meant hacker news hiring trends and the correct link is in the show notes management apologizes for the confusion enjoy again it could be a good little portfolio app because i need some anyway considering this job market right <laughs> good to th- good well, ready I, I, in I, advance 
just in I, case. I heard it's I heard it's improving. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I I hear both. I hear both ways. I, I hear like you you listen to the news or something and depending on your source you'll hear like the economy is booming and then the next guy will say the economy is like next to depress depression you know so yeah. you don't know <laughs> I don't know who to trust well, I mean all I know is preparation is is never a bad thing so you want to prepare sure. long in advance for any kind of job loss if possible not that I, I expect mean, that a job loss but you never know I mean I guess anecdotally we've seen we've felt the sort of like the booms like we've colleagues who've like gotten a job at Facebook during that boom period, now known as Meta and <laughs> and all the other companies and there's like, Oh yeah, I'm getting you know, so I'm getting some good money over here and then like <laughs> you know, whatever. Then then, then the bomb <laughs> then the Yeah. Then whatever dropped, like, oh yeah. we have to fire you guys. You know. Yep, yep. So Come to the but, Philly Coca Slack, and we talk about this sometimes. We give we tips. We do. We give tips. Uh, we, actually, yeah. yeah like where to find what? Yeah, like where to find data. I was actually looking at the Stack Overflow list of data that was dropped in the Slack. Uh, oh yeah. What? What was? What was like the? Like, <laughs> it's not. Oh, prompt Python. engineering. <laughs> oh, Python. Oh, kind of AI stuff. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. But like, top language, know, top you, language you, was Python. You picked, you picked the wrong language, Aaron. You were on the right track in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Like actually, Swift. I looked at Swift, and according to Stack Overflow, it was like zero. It was like up there, and then it dropped to like nothing. It's not even like the top twenty, I think. But oh, that's really? Stack, Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow has always had a bit of a a bias towards certain languages and others. I don't, I don't know. Well, so like JavaScript still number one, or is, is no? It Python's Python oh. was number one in this latest one Python. report. But Python, and probably because what? of the AI stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, AI yeah. tools, machine learning. So like, you know, like I, <laughs> Stack Overflow is maybe not as a- accurate as you, who knows anymore. But it's it's one useful data point, and and you can explore their their database of of info in there easily, and you can like do comparisons and build little little graphs that show like, well, where does like Java compare to .NET to Swift or whatever you want to put in? So it's pretty cool. Where where, where is .NET? In that list, it... I mean, it also was pretty low, but like, the, also, it depends on where you are. Like, in the Philadelphia area, .NET is big. Java yes. and .NET are big. .NET like, big. you know, if you want a job, if you know .NET, you know, that's why I was like, if I have a need to build a backend, I might just build it in .NET and that stuff, so uh, I get up the speed on that, just because it's well, it's lucrative. I mean, it's, it's a I'm it's a technically Java, but I've heard it has 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 an interesting uptick on the backend. Yeah, yeah, Kotlin. It's tough. I haven't gotten to use it. We're using it for. Android development, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Backend, I'm not sure. If, I don't think I know anybody using it for backend stuff, but you definitely definitely can. It depends, yeah, I guess, yeah. on what frameworks you're using and how well they work with Kotlin, because some of them work better than others. You know. But you know, if, um, it's a conservative type of. It's still Java based. It's like outside of the mobile stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kotlin on the backend is probably still not as common as Java. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but Kotlin is a much nicer language. <laughs> so I think from a little I've, I've exposure, exposure to it. I, I'm, I'm surprised how similar it is to Swift in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah but similar um, different. I, yeah. The Android Android dev I know and I talked about that a bit and it's like similar and different enough that it's in, yeah. it, it's it's aggravating. <laughs> you try to go back and forth, <laughs> but it's it is, he, he's enjoying it. He, he did like an app in Java right now doing Kotlin a lot better and just like. I now that my my mind has switched over to the Swift way of thinking, you know, I enjoy Swift. You know, it's a lot more productive of a language for me once you once you grasp what it's doing. 
or what you're supposed yeah, to do. I, I think it's matured in a very nice way. So at this point, like majority of the very valid complaints back in the day are mostly handled. Basically other issues, particularly around, I believe, was the concurrency and distributed concurrencies that might be a, a oh a yeah the, point. I'm telling you, Swift 5.9 feels like Swift, like what they wanted Swift to be. Almost, It's like almost everything you'd wanted in Swift. I remember for years complaining about the lack of like, you know, async await because that was in .NET forever and I was used to that. Like the concurrence yeah. was so painful. It was just basically taking the, you know, like the, the, the stuff we already had. And then they did combine, which I never really used combine that much, yeah. but that was better. But also, you know, its own kind of pain. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, there's a know, lot of things about like, when you would use like how you set up the cancelables, why you would use cancelables, why yeah, yeah. how you'd set up how you would use reduce, how do you just bug it? You know? Exactly. So um, now they, they have a story which for I think most types of work you're gonna be using, you can you can use the structured concurrency stuff. Yeah. And async oh, await great. and then throw exceptions and it just it just makes Wonderful. your code more straightforward. You just write it like it's linear code. <laughs> just yep, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. it just you don't have to have the weird the weird like, you know, callback nest, closures everywhere. It was just it's, nest, it's nested, like nested closures. Nested closures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like trying to find which brace you're missing. Come on, Aaron. You, you must have some, some some like really annoyance about async or oh, dispatch it with dispatch main. Dispatch main. <laughs> I mean, I did that a lot. Dispatch Ooh. main. I got I got well, clean that code up. Now right? it's now <laughs> it's task now it's task main yeah. actor. Oh well, yeah, that's everywhere. That actually shows up in <laughs> or main like, actor annotation why is it everywhere. Here, yeah, yeah, main actor like why? Yeah, like, you know what? Everywhere. I actually, I know we're way off. We haven't got to our main topic, but I actually try not to use main actor unless I have to because I kind of want, I want things to be because uh, the system is going to automatically throw things on threads. So it's like if I don't have mm-hmm. to be, if I'm not touching UI. Mm-hmm. Like there's no reason generally for it to be on main actor, but you do right. got to be careful because sometimes you got subtle bugs and not realize you should have been on main actor. So maybe that's why people do it. I've seen advice where they're they're like, if it's uh like observable, if it's like observable, maybe, or if it's a model object, just put it on main actor. I'm like, really? I don't know. Maybe sometimes. I basically, if it's UI based, obviously, but if if not, I try to I try to scope it down to like only the things that are that are, that should be definitely on main actor because I don't want a bunch of stuff happening because that can have its own performance problems if it doesn't need to be. Happening. I remember like by default now. I don't know if it happened in this version or the version before. They moved all the view controllers to the main actor. It's like by default, you don't need to add. Used to be, you have to like add an at main actor above that class, but now it's on by default. On what? On view controllers? On view controllers in UI kit. Oh, UI kit. Oh, really? I haven't. I haven't like done a new UI kit screen. You know, like file. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm bringing. I'm bringing back. I'm bringing. And when I and when I did last time, I did UI kit. It was an Objective C, so we didn't have any of that main actor stuff. Ooh, look at you. Uh, no, I, I still go back. Now to we're dating C. ourselves. <laughs> no, I go back. I, I mean, I've had the interface between Swift, Objective C, Swift UI Kit, back and forth. It's, mm-hmm. it's not fun. Don't try to avoid it if you can. <laughs> yes, yes. causes zone bugs. I think will be interesting for you with this side project. Getting back to your side project point of using ways. One of the things I always find about these sort of like apps in general like particularly ones that are on your phone is like it's fine if you're doing like one click you know take a picture save it or store it or whatever but involved and it's a very involved mm-hmm. thing when you, especially when you're dealing with metadata um it's really kind of like a very it's kind of like the 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 feel of the app kind of changes and it 
sometimes I try in my mind to like figure out how do I remove the amount of typing or like remove those typing moments of like, oh crap, I have to type Apple or I have to type some kind of word into mm. like either the item or something. And so like the idea of using maybe or even communicating with ChatGPT on the back to like pull out the metadata for you or the relevant data for you more like I thought was kind of an interesting idea. I think I kind of played with the idea a little bit when I had in Fave 10, you, you typed in like your favorite ramen, right? But I always hate this idea as like, oh, now I have to go have the user dig into their library to find a picture of mm -hmm. a, you know, of a, of a ramen that they might have taken and they have to do a little search and all that stuff. And I wanted to proactively give them, and maybe they didn't have a picture of a ramen. Maybe they just use my, you know, cons, but mm -hmm. that's not fun. So I think I remember using like a pre-filled, I would pre-fill their, their, you know, their, the ramen uh, title into Unsplash, which is like a it's, a, it's kind of a service you can use for free up to a certain extent. Like images, right? For images. So it's the free images that you can download. And they're quite good, a lot of them. Yeah, usually, yeah. usually quite good and thousands and thousands of pictures. Totally free as long as you're a true author mm -hmm. or the photographer. And which, I mean, you can just you can automate into your mm -hmm. app when you use it to put it in there. Yep, which I do. So like you, and then you can pick a photo and then download the photo. And in theory, maybe you can even do a little bit of like object detection or maybe you can even inspect the, the photo more. So maybe you can identify more details about that photo. What you would want to do with that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying as like a, as an opportunity to sort of start using models, a variety of different types of models to do different types of things, right? Yeah, to sort it's... of help reduce the amount of manual work that the user would normally have to do on their own entering the data. It's almost like your segue to our topic of AI workflows. Just trying to sneak it through. Beautiful. Man. I'm just trying to. Trying to say. You're right. So <laughs> I have I would like to explore using some quote unquote AI models in, in some app stuff. I think that's not going to be the thing I'm gonna do for the first build of this that I actually try to use in the field, because that, that would be uh, first get the core stuff in. But but yeah, I think that's a great idea uh going forward. And there's a lot of ways I think we can that I know that people use uh the, these new tools and their workflows in different ways. So you wanted to talk about this a bit today. So, Coulter, did you ha do you have um, a workflow in mind? Do you are you using some of these tools regularly now that they've been out for a while? I feel like I'm. I don't know, Aaron. I feel like I'm like super vanilla. Like I try to do some basic like <laughs> vanilla you know, AI. Well, vanilla like prompting, right? Like I go, "Hey, Chat it's, GPT." It's pronounced prompting. And my proof thing is that what I'm saying? I was like, I was like, hey, you're a sexy Swift developer. <laughs> I actually did say that. Give <laughs> uh, me a teleprompting. <laughs> for a sexy Swift UI developer. The, the, so I tried to like ask it, like, oh, because I was getting into trying to figure out how to do shaders. But this is ChatGPT you're using? Yeah. And well, I was actually using ChatGPT. Then I realized, well, if the data model is too, you know, it only goes up to a certain extent. I eye on it to know, for example, certain modern metal shader techniques. I sort of tried BART, and I probably should have tried Bing, which probably has a little, Maybe. the data set's a little more, A, the, the model Bing, is a little better. Bing base basically seems to search for stuff mm -hmm. and then use the LLM to generate your results. Mm -hmm. So, like, it, and, I mean, I guess that's how ChatGPT works, too. Maybe it's just, but it, 
its claim to fame originally was that it actually incorporated search results, like mm-hmm. actual current search results. Right. So yeah, I've used it. I've used the Bing a little bit to like generate ideas, like talk, you know, to be like explore something like that. Basically, what it does is like it's like a faster way of looking up Stack Overflow answers because they're because yeah. obviously yeah. it was like trained on them or trained it or with Bing's case, it's like what what it's actually like is it's uh, a faster way for you to search for a blog entry or some or Stack Overflow or something Stack Overflow question that has code snippets you might be interested in seeing and then it gets processed into a reply so you get like this kind of you can get like this this code chunk that's kind of an amalgamation <laughs> sort of sometimes or it's like but it, it tells you where it got it from though so you so what's funny is you go and you look at the blog post or something it's literally just the, the same code it just it took but it, it, it's just it's more convenient that's what i'm looking for it's much more yeah. convenient than than a regular searching and checking like four different blog posts it just kind of grabs them all together which is a useful thing that's what lms are good at doing that that's what the the tool is all about i mean it feels like it creates like mutated versions of the code yeah Yeah. i mean you cannot trust it (laughs) but but you get like the gist like you know like okay it's for simple stuff you get a good gist from it 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 did go back and say hey you know you could you not it didn't say that but it's for image filter or ci filter yeah example when i was asking for a metal example yeah that's because there's probably a bunch more of that on the internet in its training set yeah Right. So, you know, on some level, it at least pointed me at an option of like an yeah, idea yeah. that I didn't consider because I ought to consider sort of post-processing effects on an image, right? Maybe adding like a scan line, maybe a manipulating, maybe like warping the image in some form or fashion or, you know, grayscaling it, whatever. Matrix effect. I could use, right, the matrix or something. <laughs> I can it's use. 99 again. I could use, you know, I don't need metal shader or anything like that. I could just use core image. CI filters and do it that way, somewhat. But, you know, the, I can I can now use in iOS 17. I can now use fires kind of like a color effect, visual effect, distortion effect, and that there's one other layer. All allow you to pull a use a snippet of metal code that you kind of you kind of is easy to relatively easy is relatively easy to implement in terms of like a bite sized set of code creates either you can say is usually it's like a, a simple function that's like grayscale wave something like that and then there's a, 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 a like a complicated condensed math algorithm that it, it that it runs it through and then reproduces the view that you apply these you know effect modifiers onto and so i was <laughs> trying to look for a solution there but you know i can never try the model itself is up to date to the latest, say like June or you know July even. But did you do you have you have success though in getting any of this kind of thing to work? You're still yeah. Like I said, oh, well, like I said, I guess in the beginning was like I'm not, I'm 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 not I'm I'm such a, I'm 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 such a noob, I guess for lack of a better yeah. word, at it. I I don't know how to properly prompt, prompt. Prompt. I like prompt. Prompt <laughs> this thing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah Aaron, well, maybe Aaron, you can you can you can help me out here, but I don't know if you even you have been using it that much. No, not really. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm behind the times. I, I, Three guys talking about AI tools we don't use. This is going to be a great episode. I, <laughs> I mean, we, I think we try, but I think we. I don't know if like I've. Re- I don't ever really push it to the edge, right? I don't no, like. We're not. We're not AI bros. 
So no. Well, well, also we have to be careful. You guys probably can't even use it necessarily for your work, or can you? It's we, like there might be policies about it. I'm not sure what the policy is where I work, but I, I don't like I don't directly so, so, incorporate any stuff like directly from a from a. I mean, AI if it's tool. something like a production level job, uh, yeah. program, and then especially if it's something where we, you know, it's like we copied and pasted it. Yeah. And we didn't really vet it, right, properly. Then that would yeah, be a problem, yeah. I, think that would be I mean, a- I, I, think, I think the problem is like something like Copilot is probably what I'm thinking of more like where yeah. it's, it's like integrated into your IDE and it's writing code that you may or may not be. Yeah. Like if you're copying paste code from it, and then modifying it—that's literally what you were doing before with like Stack Overflow or something for little I, things. It, right. That I think you could, I, you know, you write tests around it, you validate it or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's normal programmer behavior. I think it, what the the issue the issue can be with companies that need to be careful about this is that you do not want these automated tools necessarily insert code that you don't know anything about. Could be a violation of some license. Could just be bad code, as we've saw, we've seen before with uh demo that you know friend of the friend of the show zorn did before i think mm-hmm. he's talking about how sometimes they can just give you bad results i've seen lots of examples of like bad algorithms that come out of these things even if the code works so i mean you just got to be careful with it so at every i think the the companies are still figuring out how these tools work and some are more right. conservative than others if anything you need a relatively good base knowledge of the thing you're so, trying to to understand, so, right? So you, you who do, does not have base knowledge in metal shaders, is asking the AI tools to tell you what's what's this, up with this. Is, this this is a, a do as I say, not as yes, I do. Exactly. <laughs> so I, as I said, I have used it a little bit to help with stuff. I've used it mostly for non-programmer stuff, and that I found it useful for summarizing things. That's like a big thing at war. Like summarize this web page. And, and speaking of. The I was talking before the show started. I was saying the I was using the Arc browser, right? The Arc browser, which is the, like that TCA based browser, I think. Anyway, they have an, some AI called Max they just came out with, and here, I'll show you guys. You won't be able to see this listening because we don't do this as a video show yet. But uh, this is their Max thing, and so they added some uh, integrations in here. And the ones are the the best one I think is Ask on a Page one. I use that one where you can you go you go like Command F to search. And you can just do a regular search, but you can then ask a question about the page. And then it'll it'll read the page and summarize it and then try to point you to the exact section and then highlight the section that you can see in the little image in the page mm-hmm. of like where it got that answer from. I yeah. found it, for technical articles, moderately useful, I would say, because every time I've used it so far, the article has been too long. I think they put... Either it always had this limitation, or they just, or when the time I started using, they put some limit on it where it'll be like, oh, the article's too long. I'm only going to read 25% of it, or I'm going to read 50% of it, or whatever. So that limits it a little bit if it can only get like 50% of the article. But the idea is really cool. And I have used that, and it's been successful. And I, I was like, you know, how do I blah, blah, blah in this in this long, long tech article? Give me this answer. And then it just points me to the section of the article that talks about it. So that's pretty cool. Um, I wonder how that does for like recipes. <laughs> You know what? That's right. probably a great use. Show me, show me, the, get me to the, get me to the ingredient section stat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I'm not using arc for this recording. Otherwise I could show you in a tab, but I'm not, I'm using regular Chrome, but it also has a five second previews where if you put your mouse over and press shift over any link, it, it I think they call it five second previews because it takes like five seconds to generate. 
and it gives you a, uh, a like a little preview card of the summary of the of the, the site. That is neat and also terrifying if you you know have an, a website that relies on ads, <laughs> an ad because no one's gonna click your website. But uh, this is this is essentially what like Bing does. I think like Bing will get you if you if you search for something, Bing will give you like a little summary, so you don't necessarily have to cite, but it'll tell you what the site was. This is kind of right. like that, I guess. But it's you you the human are picking one particular site to get a summary of. And then it has like integration in the chat GPT from its yeah. own little chat command bar, which it basically just opens up chat GPT. If you're logged in, it, it'll open up the page and just makes it easier gotcha. to send commands. Gotcha. And then the other little things it does automatically, these are like little things I can see Apple kind of doing. It'll automatically tidy up your tab titles when you put them, when you pin them. That's actually pretty mm -hmm. cool. It makes them short and so you can see them. And then same thing with downloads. So it'll take some crazily named file and it'll just rename it to something, something useful. <laughs> so you understand what it what it is later what it was yeah. yeah so like like a couple, a couple of these are just really simple not they're probably not simple to implement but they're they're straightforward and they're kind of like make your life a little nicer one of them is just a faster way of getting a chat gpt and then the other two are like summarization tools which i actually think are pretty useful uh, mm -hmm. of how you can integrate this stuff into a product and it can actually be useful in your existing workflow you know i like it i, I like it. i haven't played with it too much but I like, I like that it's in there it's baked in so I don't have to like jump to a separate site or copy and paste URLs or something. I mean, I do like AI that's sort of very subtle in the background. So they do a task and they do one well, or at least they try to do one thing really well, right? So like in some cases with, if you go to the Photos app on, on the iPhone and you start doing a search for food, it'll bring up oh, yeah. every food that it's detect every every photo that has food in it or dog or something like that. Like you'll it knows because it's, you know, looked at you ahead of time and indexed them where they managed to categorize mm -hmm. all your different your different types of yeah. of objects in the images. I don't know how it indexes how it how it indexes it so thoroughly, but it certainly like using AI to sort of figure that out. Or like it's, you know, the IX detection, which is better. It's still a little bit goofy from time to time, but better in terms of like auto-completion. Mm. And I feel like there was something else that I was forgetting that it, that they do in the background. But I I, I don't want like a, an app that's like overtly trying to say, hey, look at me, I do AI. <laughs> I'm still uh, one idea, which was to do the in-betweens in animation so you have like you know two poses and i want to animate between those two poses or three poses not that i want to necessarily replace in-betweeners but i want to make it so it's a little easier for them to generate the initial in-between and then them cleaning it up so, so like, an like an animation assistant yeah yeah just so does the does the early just does enough and then maybe you can like clean it up if you want so to. the yeah image the image generation tools i've used a little bit i used mm -hmm. the one that was built into canva if you know what canva is mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's uh like an online image editor mm -hmm. i use that to generate like help me generate thumbnails once for something mm -hmm. i actually it's did so many attempts that it, it blocked me for the day and said you've, you've tried too many times pick pick one of these several dozen images that were all right. terrible for the most part, but, but you know, like that kind of thing. And if you've seen the demos of the new Photoshop or like, like stuff they have mm -hmm. with the being able to like remove, well, Firefly is one of them. That'll, that'll generate images based on text, but they have, let me see if I can find it. They have, they have a Photoshop. What do they call it? The feature they have a AI editing now. <laughs> what are they calling this? 
Oh, you can you can describe stuff to generate it, but the you can change the background. You can remove and replace content. It's amazing. Like edit out elements quickly. Mm -hmm. That that's something that I've tried masking stuff. So one of the, that I do a lot when I edit photos. I think this might be some of the stuff. For, well, I'm going to share this. One of the I think is uh, oh, it's still in the wrong one. I think one of the things I do a lot when I'm editing photos is I need to mask stuff sometimes. I've been playing around with that. <clears throat> the new Lightroom tool on iOS has a feature to create, mm -hmm. which is really neat. And I just tried that. So you take a, a, a iPhone, a regular like iPhone photo, not a, not, not a, you know, I guess if you do a 15, right. they're all, I'm taking like, I took like a pro raw, like a, pro, a raw photo, not mm -hmm. a, you know, and, and then it uses some, some model to try to detect the subjects and stuff and then allow you to blur the background and I've tested been cool. And the really cool thing I've used is the ability to just mask stuff automatically. Mm -hmm. I use that okay. a lot on some photos recently where I needed to mask. Like I want you to select the background or select the sky or select the subject and then like apply some stuff just to the subject. And it does such a good job where before you'd have to use your mouse and very carefully trace around something. Or if you had like a, you know, like a pen or something, you could do it super tedious one click and it's very reliable at, at, at masking. And then you can apply stuff to that mask. And now they have this option in Photoshop, I believe that you can like remove things from the scene. That's something I've done occasionally. Like, you know, you know, we want to remove something and it's really, right. really hard to yeah. do right. Sure. And if this tool that they have works reliably, it will save me tons of time and clean up some photos without having mm -hmm. some weird, like a weird, uh, like, artifacts in it like yeah. i hope it works because like the the selection refinement all that kind of stuff these are i guess technically quote unquote ai applications i think mm -hmm. they're generated they're machine learning models i believe that they used yeah. these not homegrown algorithms mm -hmm. i think right and so this is the kind of thing that i find exciting about this not the you know like the having fake conversations with yourself via an LLM. I don't care about that stuff. I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah. not on the uh, AGI train, but for, they... for the people who know what is AGI train. What I mean is what I mean is like, I don't, I don't believe that chat GBT is an artificially general intelligence, you know, an artificial general intelligence, like a human level intelligence. Basically uh, the, the singularity. Exactly. Thing. Like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe we're, I don't believe I'm not even sure that's actually possible to ever sure. ever happen with tech but that's a different different interesting topic of discussion sure. but but for sure like you bing is not actually you know alive talking to you it's you talking to yourself but the are, are you sure are you, yes are you i'm positive? very sure <laughs> i'm very sure <laughs> it didn't try to convince you to you know yeah you know but fall it, in love with it and <laughs> yeah but Anyway, the, the those types of the the chats cool, and I think it has a lot of utility as we talked about earlier. But this kind of stuff with the image editing is where I think it's at because yeah. it's allow. This is an example of giving more amateur people like myself similar abilities in some circumstances to what a professional person would have, or it gives you the ability to do something much, much orders of magnitude more easily than before. So like I could have done this before. I could have painstakingly selected an object and, and tried to, to remove it from, from a video, from a, a photo or something, or I could have painstakingly you know, masked out the sky so I could change the exposure. But usually I wouldn't do it because it's too much work. 
Right. You know, but this makes it much easier. Yeah. And it doesn't replace anybody. It doesn't replace an expert. You still got to understand what you're doing, but it makes it makes an expert able to be super productive. And it makes somebody like me, who's more of an amateur about it, like productive at all in this space. You know, and I think this, this is like the, the bicycle for the mind thing from from Steve Jobs. Like computers and software should give you superpowers. They should help you do things faster, easier or do things you couldn't do before. And sure. that's where application of these tools I, I find are exciting. Being able to do that, not being able to like, you know, search the web differently or something, but right. being able to like create differently. Look at this. Like, let's remove this horse. You know, I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to like try to yeah, remove the that's, horse. That's, oh, that, content. That's exactly. Did you yeah, see what they do with like the Pixel 8? Uh, n- I heard, the, I, I heard something about the, it. One of the major features is like, it will allow you to take a photo, right? And let's say it's a group photo. And you know how like in a group photo, somebody's always got their head down or head to the, or looking the other way or something. You can, I think, I don't know if it does it in bursts or not. It, you can take that head, right? Like modify it so that uh, you can pick different, Have you can have it pick different like heads, so like, to speak. Like, of, like different angles? Like from different angles. Or like maybe, maybe it did a burst like a burst uh, shot and like now it's like saying okay well you can this person had it maybe in that and maybe like you know 20 bursts down that they actually looked at you you can like have it use that head versus but the like other but the but other the, part of the picture just replace the head or right just replace the head oh wow and cool. so like you can do things where like you, you, you know, now you can question whether or not anything is <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. i mean versus like <laughs> Well, so, this like, is where all all these like Instagrams. You thought the Instagram photos look oh god. Now. Have you seen the guy Instagram? You know, stuff is all they're all over Instagram now. The AI generated oh, people yeah? now. Oh, oh yeah. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. And but this is where it comes down to things like professional ethics and what's the context of photos used in. Like if you're a sure. newspaper or like you're like a credentialed photographer for a news agency of some sort, mm-hmm. like you're probably not even allowed to do too many edits if any sure. like to photos sure. i i don't know what the rules are but you're probably not going to uh, be allowed to like remove things from it you know <laughs> like sure, because you sure. it would sure. because the context in which a photo is supposed to be used is is news or informational trying to be in a reflection of the actual reality but yeah. Yeah. in the types of photos that i do like i'm at a concert i feel like it's more of an in between area where it's obviously a real thing that happened, but I feel free to heavily edit the thing to change colors and color temperatures and 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 contrast and all kinds of other stuff so that it can be it can look way cooler than it you know in my opinion than it probably looked in re- like in real life or the colors are different because than in, than they were in real life at the right. from your eye. But that's because mm-hmm. I'm trying to create uh like iconic looking still images of an event to elicit like an emotional response, try to give you a sensation of kind of what it felt like to mm-hmm. be there in through the medium of still images, right. even though it was, it was an experience of music and sound and light and movement. So like, that's why I, I, I would do that. And I think that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to, to do it for news. Right now, if I was, you know, I'm not trying to do like, you know, you know, it's I not guess, trying to try to try to be like CNN or something about it. I, I guess it's kind of interesting because it, it, that touches on the sort of process, <coughs> excuse me, the process of the art form itself, mm-hmm. right? Because now I think when we talk about art, right, you know, I think we've all had sort of that existential crisis of like, what does that, what does 
you know, seeing a stable diffusion or a mid journey, mm -hmm. what is that going to do for my self-esteem, so to speak, or my desire to even create art if I know it could just be auto-generated, right? But the the one thing I have always found missing from these art pieces, it's almost like it's it's almost the sense that it lacks a sense of process, or at least it feels like like you can kind of you you can't you 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 can look at it and go, okay. It's a great looking piece, and I'm sure it's got great composition, and all the all the above. But I think sometimes I forget how much I really enjoyed sloppy, imperfect, mm -hmm. you know, art. And I think I I always go back to comic books in a sense where, you know, the artist doesn't have a lot of time. The penciler, you know, in, in comic book world back in the day, back in the good old days. Of back Jim in the Lee, day, Jim before Lee Aaron was born, we were early old men. Oh, no, no. But little kid, Aaron, Aaron we're, was we're, reading some of these comic books, these little X Men's, or well, he was probably reading Star Trek comics. But he was like, "I don't even read comics." <laughs> I read Aaron, manga have, before Aaron, they have, were cool. Aaron even know who Spider Man is? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh God, <laughs> okay. Spider Man! That was all right. Let me, like, let, me, let me think of it. Let me think of more. Moon Knight, Gambit, Rogue. The '90s X Men cartoon. You, you can just shake. Just you can just shake your. <laughs> it's okay no, no but uh, i was but uh, combo artists in the 90s and oh earlier whatever the, the process has always been style where you have maybe like a week to draw 19 to 22 pages of mm -hmm. comic book art and that that's not even i don't that's that's not even including the cover art if you were responsible for that wow and then you had to so you had to pencil it you had to ink it you had to put make sure there's word balloons, so spaces for the ink letters to add their letter. Letters had to go in, and they had to manually letter that themselves. Yep. All the kabooms, all the all that stuff had to be manually penciled and inked itself. And then you had the colorist come and you know apply their their shadings and their you know mm. depending on like how, whether you're using new material or old material. It was a mm. process, and that had to be the turnaround had to be in one month than three like less than four weeks because wow. you had to make sure you had enough time to you know print edit clean up whatever so you kind of got this because the turnaround was so quickly like you had to sort of commit to mm -hmm. doing it but it was also very you know you could always see errors but that was sort of the beauty like you could see yeah. the progression of a, a comic book artist get better because mm -hmm. he learned from that mistake he didn't have time to like dwell on it he just kept going yeah. And, and he the same thing with the cartoons too. Like yeah, yeah. Batman animated series, famously, I think the opening anima the animation opened the show, Batman mm -hmm. and the orchestral music and stuff. And there he's like on a rooftop. I think there's mm -hmm. uh, at least in the early episodes, there's like you can see dirt or something that was on the that was on the the slide or whatever when they were filming it. I think they might have removed it eventually. Just like you used to be able to see that on f like imperfections in the film when you watch yeah. the theater. And and yeah, you could see you you could still see like weirdness with animations because animation is done by lots of people and sometimes it's farmed sure. out different groups. But you could see that like the primary art would change and evolve over time. Coloring I might mean, change a little bit. And uh, I know in in anime they have like people who specialize in certain types of animation. Right. So you have somebody that specializes in like liquid explosions. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's hard. And I, I wonder. So you get today. There's a lot of bad, you know, graphic art and, and and like animated art. There's also a lot of good stuff, and sure. I guess the 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 tools and whether they be AI tools or not, like the advancement of computing technology into these, I think they it's been like a double edged sword 
you know, mm-hmm. where there's like more content now, probably in part because it, it is faster to produce if you can take some liberties and like copy and paste some stuff for more for, to be, you know, imprecise about it. But like you can automate some of the production of this, I'm guessing, right? You can, like some of it, like if, like like there's animations. I'm thinking more of animation because that's more what I sure. what I consume. But you know, there's like animations of the like the bad CGI characters in it. But that's because yeah. you can you can direct the CGI scene, and you don't you create the assets what like once, right? And then mm-hmm. you don't and you can add, you can direct them in multiple episodes. You don't have to draw them all over and over again. I, you see a lot of those I like a lot of CGI mixed in with the animation. But on the other hand. You have stuff like what was that? What was that? What's that Demon Demon Slayer anime that came out yeah. where it? I think it has some CGI in it, but it's like it's done so well that you can't. I can't tell how they made it. It's just beautiful, and I don't. I wonder if they could have gotten the crispness they got with some of their amazing animation sequences and that without computers, or maybe it would have been harder, or even it wouldn't have been economical. I don't know. I feel like we've had some of the best stuff I've ever seen and some truly terrible things, partially because of the technological advancement in the field. The tooling change, right? I guess which changes the economics and changes, you know, the uh, the the level of uh, skill you need. I think with animation, it's kind of funny because it's almost like it's it went from going from like hyper realistic, so we're talking like stories, Toy Stories, or any Pixar related movies. Oh yeah, it kind of reached to that peak, and then now modern animations, Disney, Pixar, whatever, try to get it that rough sort of in between of like being like almost an impressionist version of that like they do a lot of work to make it feel like it's not 3d oh okay yeah (laughs) so i mean is that a taste changes that the people they're making i guess they're trying to do something different yeah i mean part of it is a reaction to what is prior that's typical of the art world in general but i also i also found that it is kind of like in in when we think about like anime, for example, there's always the the intention to be able to do that, like do what is hard, what is hard to do in 3D, uh, in 3D. Meaning, like when you talk about anime, a lot of times what separates anime from like regular animation is they take tremendous risks with a camera angle. And they oh, yeah. do these absurd transitions and they do only, like weird distortion yeah. that you just can, can't accomplish with 3D. Like you would have to work really extra hard because 3D is so precise. So like to like morph the face and weird and like obscure and like mushiness and then like so and they, then transition to like something like and then like cut off some frames <laughs> yeah. just to increase the speed and have a smear in there in between that. And then do they, to, they, they do all that on computers now or is there still part of the process on paper or is it yeah it's pretty much all on computers i think that's the other funny thing too like you might look at a miyazaki movie and a good chunk of that is actually still hand-drawn in fact i would say majority of that is like, it hand-drawn on paper or on a computer on paper okay. what they do is they scan it to a computer so and the, all the post process the coloring that kind of stuff okay is generally done like so it used to be done on cells and up to a point they'd still do it on cells or they do something close to cells but then when it switched yeah. to cg it switched to the computer I mean, scan it to the computer and then refine it in um, in post-process and the i mean the last time we were talking about the, all these ai tools too a while back we were talking about what was that that corridor the corridor crew video yeah. they made a i don't know if we did i don't know if we talked about their follow-up one but they made a follow-up yep. which was even yep. more, involved like and they further refine their techniques 
And like you could just see these tools are getting better regardless. Mm-hmm. And it's and I, the way I choose to look at it is, you know, if you're an if you're an expert, like you if you learn to use these tools, you're still going to be an expert compared to me. You're still going to be able to do more than I can. You're going to be more valuable. You have to have you constantly have to be providing more value with your skill set in order to stay competitive. I don't think like an amateur is going to be able to usurp you. But what the amateurs, what the like the less experienced people can get now, is they get more ability than they than they maybe had before to to reach a little bit higher. And I understand I, that that could be threatening to to some people, but I think overall, it's good for for the market. One, my, the way I look at it is one way I would be more inclined to say, okay, for a concept artist, for example, mm-hmm. they might generate maybe like on average they pump out maybe two or you know two to ten art pieces you know concept arts a day maybe you know now maybe they could just hand this off to somebody with a prompt engineer and you say okay here are these characters here are these scenes i want you mr prompt engineer to generate scenarios based on you know based on what's on the script i want you to take these characters and now put them in these scenarios and like Mm. Devin, you know, give us some ideas, change the camera, you know, give us some ideas that we can like, we can iterate over hundreds of those and just, you know, and then when we can sift through them and see if there's anything that resonates and then a good prompt engineer with a sense of style, a sense of context, a sense of understanding of what type of vision the director or whoever wants can then go, okay, I'm going to take this and now I'm going to really like do some absurd ideas We'll see what chat uh, uh, mid journey or whatever, and then kind of yeah kind of play with that. I mean, these are the type of things you probably never see over over in a production level thing. I mean, yeah. that's uh, so. This is like but, ideas you're you're messing yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see it because the, as I said, the tools I like are the tools that are helping me to accomplish something with my own work. But yeah. the the problem we have, with, especially with the image generation stuff, is mm. the, the the like where does it get the content from because it's like oh, it had to be trained had to be trained the model had to be yeah. created by ingesting a lot of other people's human pe- people's work and there's a yes. lot of consequences of that 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 mm-hmm. i've not i feel like they, they're being explored by people but maybe you don't hear about all the time in the in the mainstream like you know you do have to think about it, not just from a like a copyright issue or trademark use issues those legal issues but I always think about the larger, and I think we mentioned this last time we talked about it, like the larger scale, like if you keep using these tools to make the products that you then put on the market that then get trained back into the models again, you're just like regurgitating the same stuff from like 2019. Yeah. That like, you know, like whenever the model was edited. So like every from the, when the first, the first model came out and you started using it, it's like everything is just a derivation of that. Uh, the, the, which the sad, I wonder if that's a good thing or not. The sad thing that I wonder, I mean, the the silliness in myself was like, well, you know, a lot of people like in like the small business, like restaurant business, right. Mm-hmm. They always have a secret sauce or a secret spice or some kind of secret ingredient that secret combination ingredient that keeps to themselves. They just keep, they don't copyright it. They don't trademark it, whatever. They just keep it in like a bolt somewhere or whatever. And they never reveal it. Right. Like I almost feel like at this point, like artists are probably destined mm-hmm. to do something similar where they might take the highest res version of it, reduce it to the required mm-hmm. client oh, yeah. amount, flatten it, to make sure that it's flattened, watermark the crap out of it, whether it be through like behind the, you know, behind yeah, the um, make it harder or whatever. Make it harder right. to be used for training. And then, I mean, right. Well, be fine with training, right? Once it's out there, it's out there. But the point is they don't have the original. 
Right. Frame. Well, I mean, yeah. then that, that's where the blockchain bros come in. They're like, well, you can use our blockchain I, original, but, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I don't mean like even Adobe has, you know, suggested a similar concept, although I don't, I, I do agree that they, I think they were on along well, the same, along the same point I mean, of view about blockchain. I don't care about that. Yeah. I don't care about either, but, but photographers for a long time, they do this. I mean, when I take photos, I keep the raw file, which is the original file, and I have a Lightroom catalog of all the edits mm -hmm. to it. Right. I right. do tend to give people two versions of my photos, like mm -hmm. the like a, a version that's intentionally um, sized for social media, and then mm -hmm. the full res exports of them with no watermark on those, but watermark on the ones for social right. media. Because the idea right. is that if they want to make like an advertisement or something, if I give them that access, they want to do something with it. Or they want to print it, then they can use the one that that one. And if they want to post on social media, watermark it, it's lower res, and, you know, sure. and stuff. And I mean, that's a common thing. Like watermarks on stuff are on photography are common. Like it's that's all over the place. So yeah. maybe other forms of artwork need to incorporate that in some way. Yeah, just, some people but, just but put it's... like the the they put the the actual one. I'm like, yeah, yeah don't do that. Don't the original, no. and especially yeah. like the original source file yeah. you know unless yeah. unless you're as part of like the contract or the deal you made with somebody whatever but don't just like put it out on the on the web right keep that secure somewhere exactly uh but but i do think that as we're only checking in with this only months after we first did a real long discussion about all these tools mm -hmm. they they're they're they've already what we expected to happen <laughs> they the big tech companies have have released useful tools for mainstream people to use even onto your phone across the landscape and people are now encountering them people like myself people who are less tech savvy than we are even mm -hmm. right and they're going and i think that at the moment i'm still pretty cautiously optimistic that this is going to lead to some more creative stuff just like when like the iphone first came out or when you first started having like cameras that were good on your phones and people could start actually taking photos and videos and they started creating things with those devices they couldn't before because they couldn't afford like the equipment in this case it's kind of like you can you can sort of level up your skills with the help of the of this machine like it doesn't get you to an expert level but you can now do things you used to not be able to do at all like i'm, I'm telling you like these photoshop things the content aware fill it, the demos i've seen are quite amazing i think uh, one one thing that i i be interesting to utilize is figure out like how create, for example, a game that has a dynamically, you know, a dynamic world where like, I mean, they've sort of experimented with it, right? With mm -hmm. some of these, like, they, like you're in a village, everybody is preloaded with a pre, like everyone has preloaded with a pre preconceived idea. Oh, I'm sorry, every bot, oh, every, every bot, okay. set is preloaded with a preconceived item in the days before and what's coming. Oh, right, day. yeah, I think I've seen some videos about so they, the, about how that works, right? And so they all sort of, they all sort of, um, they're all sort of doing this um, doing dance a, with a, each other, where they talk doing to like each a, other. A script, but it's like, but right. it, it has feedback between. Right, and so then it themselves. starts creating a world, right? So imagine if you go as a as a like a role playing game, mm. and maybe you have this world that is, you know, it'll re it'll preset right to whatever the generic start of the game is, or you know, wherever you're supposed to start in this yeah. village, but then. You leave the village, right? You've done some horrible things in the village or you've done whatever, mischievous things. But the consequence <laughs> of that is that it remembers, right? And by, and so you go on your little adventure and you come back to the village and now they're like, no they knows. know 
of the things that you've done in the village. What, and now the they, they know what you've done. They got pitchforks and they're ready for yeah. you, right? Like they can well, react. And you know, and, I, and that's all yeah. like sort of like an AI, right? In, and, like in a realist term. And I, I think that I'm hoping that the, that kind of these kind of tools are not like some people think of them as very dystopian, right? And I think. What if you think about it this way? Like, you use a tool to do that kind of thing. That gives you a new kind of play. But it also, even, like, art generation. I know people are really upset. Uh, like, some people are very vocal about the use of, like, AI-generated art in um, that um, Nick Fury show. was on the MCU show. Was it oh, Secret Invasion? Uh, yeah, Secret Invasion in the beginning. And it's like, yeah, that was pretty terrible-looking art. But, it, it, but, you know, if you're using AI-generated art for things, that doesn't mean it has to be all or nothing. Like, what if you use it for some parts that are tedious and time consuming and not that important. Like you just need a procedurally generated forest or something, but then you do custom artwork for all the important stuff in there. So now you have freed up time for your artist to work on what's important and add, it's truly adding value to your game and you're automating. It's like the way I think of these things, it's not, they're not AI in the sense that they're not real intelligence. They're like, mm-hmm. they're like autointelligence. They're like, they're, I think I heard someone say, say like mention, I don't think this is my, my phrase. Someone else on YouTube said this, so I don't remember who, but, but it was like more like, it's like, it's automation. It's a more, it's the latest advancement in automation. And, and that's really cool. Well, even, even something as simple as, let's say you make a game, you know, those like survivor, I forgot survivor, I forgot that name, vampire survivor, one of these games where it progressively gets hard. So it's a top-down shooter and you're like shooting oh. monsters that eventually get bigger and more complicated and larger and they start to swarm you and your job is just to survive. Oh, and then one of the things that might be so interesting fun. is like maybe you can figure out a way so that the AI can take the, you know, m- mutate some of the, it could be like a gene splicing game where like you're killing these other monsters but then they sort of combine to form another monster and then the monster super conway's game of life right exactly right just like i mean i bet this probably exists somewhere people have already done it like in terms of like but then like you can make the ai learn each time right so like as you pass each round the ai is like all right all right mother effer you know (laughs) yeah i'm gonna throw this at you it's like the model these models are black boxes Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like they're kind of black boxes. Once you get them, like you don't necessarily know the algorithm that you've created based mm-hmm. on the training data and stuff. But sure. once it exists, then it kind of works, and then you can give it feedback, and you can see what happens. And that's mm-hmm. the fun part about it. that's why everybody's experimenting. Everybody's yeah. making these models, and the, the, it's it it's everywhere. And it, we, as as I think we predicted, a lot of people predicted, not just us. A lot of people predicted it's, it's going everywhere. Sure. And smaller models, as you said, Coltro, like smaller models that work on device work with less hardware, they're also be going everywhere. Like you'll yeah. see that's that's how you get the AI tools on your cell phone. It's not going to be, you know, like GPT-4, I mean, you know, we, on your phone. We have we have M and A16s and chips that I, have, Next year, man. Next have, year. That have, WDC. Uh, neural network, neural engines on them, right? With, yeah, like, and they, they, they App, I don't know. Apple just, <laughs> yeah, Apple just updated the neural engine on the latest chip. Like they, 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 they took. They took silicon. They dedicated to it. That's that's a big deal because I feel like the latest chipset is not really the performance improvement maybe people thought it was going to be in all ways. But what they did was they put a lot of that budget to the neural engine, right? Yeah. For the latest yeah. iPhone chips, sure. which is a a signal, and that I think next year, dub dub next year might be the the finally like Apple unveiling all their AI stuff. They'll be like a year behind everybody else, but you, it's you, okay. Start, <laughs> is that is that, that when they're actually is that when they're actually going to ship? 
a vision pro it's like all yeah. right now we're ready <laughs> early 2024 is june yeah, now right. i guess that's right uh, that's right i mean i don't know uh, but it's it, it, it I, i'm looking forward to it it's going to be mm-hmm. it, it's going to be a cool this this next 2024 is for apple developers specifically i think mm-hmm. that's the year we're going to start seeing more of the ai stuff like it's a little bit slower to to get into our camp just because apple had a lot of obvious things for it. they have done stuff we used to talk about they right. but they haven't been done like the flashy things yet like where, where's my where's my siri co-pilot or x code right <laughs> well at least now you can go to labs at least we can all oh, right we, we didn't even do the news in new york we, we're so far over this is uh, going to kill me to edit but we're so far over the the time now but we 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 have to we can't before we leave we have to do just one little bit of uh, last minute news mm-hmm. We are no longer invisible to Apple, those of us here on the East Coast. Apple, Yay. we're no longer part of flyover country, which is which is sad to call it flyover country. It's like, you know, most of the country. But you know what I mean. Like, we no longer are ignored. You don't have to go all the way to California to get your chance to get hands-on with Vision OS. You can apply now and go to New York City or Australia. So Yes. Sydney, right? Sydney. So... Yes, yeah, so you don't have to go to London, or I think it was, was London before. You had to either fly to London, London or go to, go Tokyo, to California. Singapore. I don't uh, understand why it took so long. California but and the the Brazil? the the scuttlebutt, as it were, on on in Philly Coca, wasn't it? Was that someone was saying that the the there was enough slots open in California that people were just like oh. going over there, like it wasn't hard to get a slot in California. Like there, I saw some other media report about it wasn't as as popular as maybe expectations were. Originally, I mean, it's I tough because, true, like, though. one thing that I mean, one thing that I, I yeah. realized about this this product is, like, unless you have a legitimately interesting concept, like, you can probably just get away with just having your iPad app compatible app to. Yeah, I mean, that's what we we to, talked about with our visions experiments, yeah, which even, we haven't like forgotten. Eye. It's just that there's not much to, but I to think do it, with that beta until recently. It, yeah, it, it would take a very forward thinking in the sense that they are more like all in on the idea yeah. of like a Vision OS app or you have something very specific around Vision OS or you already have a VR game. And if you do, you, you're almost silly not to. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see what happens. The meta just came out with uh, their latest quest was a quest three sure. with an AR mode. Which is actually pretty good. I saw the demo. It's not as good as Vision OS, from what people who have used both say. Not even sure. close. But it people. Okay, I know we're over. We can't. We can't. We can't not talk about this though. Like people took those things on and walked around in real life, just like we said people would do. They did it. The Quest Three. There's videos. People walk around with these goofy headsets on <laughs> in AR mode in real life with like people around Wait, and everything. So and it's he like seemed, so he could actually record his stream right like he could record what he was seeing right well yeah like, i mean that's that how we it. got the video <laughs> i think so somebody did this that part kind of frightens me not because it's like now like like you said it, it'll be version of glass hole like is there an indicator that oh my that god that was recorded? actually the headline it was like what do they call it like I don't know. Something, something holes. Like someone coined a, yeah. a glass hole. Meta, meta, ver, meta hole or meta, meta hole meta, or something. Meta, or, it was the know. verge. Quest holes. Like meta, oh, the verge. Quest, quest holes or something. The quest holes. Or Maybe not. Like that yeah, doesn't yeah, sound yeah. right. That doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> you said it, man. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to say it. I'm sorry. I took it back. <laughs> meta holes. It came out that it was like, no. <laughs> no. Uh, 
too late. Leave it in there as I don't want to spend the time right, to bleep right. it because I don't have. I, I'm not using cool AI tools to edit this podcast yet. So take me too long. I know I gotta right, do that. Well, well, that's all we're gonna have today. Yeah, let, let's let's wrap it up. But <laughs> I hope, hope you enjoyed that, that. That turned into a long but interesting discussion about AI topics. Agreed. So agreed. Uh, you can learn more about Philly Coco at phillycoco.org. There you'll find links to our Slack group, meetup schedule, and contact info. If you're feeling generous, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcast platform of choice is, and share us with all your developer friends. And one more thing. All right, we're back to jokes. Really bad programmer dad jokes that I got from Reddit. The best. And I'm sorry. I'm like running out of, I, I, I'm totally in like, just a- ask Bing for some more jokes next time. I should have. That that was actually a better idea. All right, because these jokes are bad. Um, coming from C- a C plus plus background, my first day as a Java release engineer went about as well as expected. The experience was jarring. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Joke number two. Terrible. Where did Zuckerberg's threads? Where did Zuckerberg's threads fail? There were de- there was a deadlock between not having enough regular users and not having regular content. <laughs> well, oh my god, I, these are really bad. I didn't even I didn't I didn't Who wrote that really one. Was that an AI joke? Got executed create for six days. On the seventh day, he just called an API. It was his day of rest. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and with that, that is terrible. <laughs> Till next time. Good luck on your own developer journey. We are cheer for you always. Any any last words, Aaron, to, to put as a tagline here? Oh my goodness! No, no, I think this is a world record for least uh, I had to say in an episode. So. <laughs> well, now now we could add that at the end.